When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the ACC Now podcast. I'm sports columnist Luke Tcock, and I'm joined here on the eve of the national championship game. It's Monday afternoon uh, here in Houston, and I'm joined by a man at his 50th Final Four, the legendary basketball writer at the Philadelphia Daily News and later the New York Daily News, Dick Hoops Weiss. Hoops, it's Lord knows we've had enough conversations over the years, but it's really weird to record one. <laughs> yes, but you know what? It's great. Because we're just talking basketball. You've covered over the years way more probably games between Duke and North Carolina and NC State and ACC games over the years because you were doing this at a time when not only were those the biggest games on the calendar, you worked for outlets that wanted you there. I did. I mean, newspapers back then, you go to a Carolina Duke game at Duke, you'd see 10 national papers back in the night, as late as the 90s. Now everything has shifted. And it's a shame because I think the death of newspapers or the demise of most newspapers has really affected college coverage nationally. There are very few national college basketball writers anymore. Look, look, I for 15 years, I did both Carolina Duke home and away. I'm st- I'm still rem- I still remember in running to running to the press room to start writing and having Capel hit a, a buzzer shot to send to send Carolina Duke ninety five into overtime uh, and Dick Vitale saying I could be here all night baby. You and Dick have seen a few games together. Let's let's start there, not with Vitale, but what were your favorite couple Duke Carolina games over the years? I think the game with Duke Carolina ninety five was my favorite because. Mucheski was out with a back problem. Uh, Duke was going through a very uncharacteristic down year, and the game was played at, at Duke. And Carolina went to the Final Four that year. They come to Duke. Most people thought it's going to be a blowout, and it wasn't. And frankly, Duke played so courageously that a lot of people thought that they actually murdered the win, but Carolina wasn't going to get beat that year. I, you know, Duke Carolina brings out the best in everyone because their neighborhood, it's the classic neighborhood rivalry. It, you know, two teams are located eight to ten miles apart from each other, and, and, and players know each other. They play against each other in the summers. Most of them know what each other... Their strengths and weaknesses are. So when you go into a building, it's not like you're playing against someone who is unfamiliar with what you do. I mean, I still remember 99, the Elton Brand game on a Sunday afternoon uh, where, 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 where Duke was putting together what looked like a championship season. They win the game and then wind up losing to Connecticut in the, in the NCAA Finals uh, down in Tampa that year. But, I mean, the game means so much to the people involved. Unfortunately, the game got so good that they started the games later and later. And when ESPN came along, 
they become it became a nine o'clock special. That's great for the fan base, but not so great for the writers, it, because Duke Cameron doesn't have electrical outlets along along courtside. So you basically are in a situation where you have to make a decision in the second half: Are you going to make deadline and watch TV, or are you going to stay out there? And take your chances if yeah. everything goes over to It does now. We've entered the 21st century, so things things are, are better. I, we've spent a lot of time this weekend because he was belatedly elected into the Naismith Hall of Fame talking about Jim Valvano. What's your favorite story from the Valvano era at NCC, or for that matter, Iona, because you were around for that too? Yeah, um, I, I still remember Jim Valvano's uh, Iona team beating Louisville by 27 points of the Garden the year that Louisville won the championship in 1980. I also remember sitting in Albuquerque at the pit watching the semifinal game, and most people thought that uh, Carolina State and Georgia was the undercard because uh, Louisville and Houston were playing, and they went through that eight-minute stretch, which was a uh, uh, a dunkathon among, uh, uh, and and it excited the media so much. One guy, one guy, people were popping out of their seats. They, they were losing their mind on press row because it was so. Jim just sat back and uh, decided he was gonna control the tempo and let Houston shoot, shoot foul shots down the stretch if they wanted. And it became a fifty-point game. And you know, I'm still, I, I'm sure that. Derek Wittenberg still thinks that shot was a real shot. As a put, he called it a pass, I think, after a while. But when Charles uh, came down with the ball and dunked the ball, I mean, over over Olajuwon, and the place went wild. I still remember. I actually remember this: Jimmy running around like a chicken without a head, looking for somebody to dunk. Later on that spring, they actually had a roast for Valvano. And Dean Smith actually showed up, which is very unusual. They had a they had a better relationship than most Carolina Carolina State coaches, and Jim was naturally funny. I mean, after Rowley um, won the national championship, he was considering a job with the Nets in two thousand in, in nineteen eighty five, and Jim came up and visited him, and they had a a, a Villanova post-game banquet, and Jim and I are there, and he says, come on outside with me. Picks up the phone and calls, he says, well, that was 250 bucks. He says, this is why I'm not getting out of college coaching, because he's the first coach that I know that actually invented a way to make money uh, all off the job. I mean, he, he, he wrote an Italian cookbook. He was doing, he was doing network TV. The guy was everywhere. And, you know, I, it was sad that it ended the way it did, but I think most of us remember the speech. I think we'll always remember the speech. You and, and, and John Feinstein and Leslie Visser were kind of running around at that point in time with Belvano at state and Dean at Carolina and, and Kay coming up at Duke. I mean, John wrote a book about it, as we both know, as he's wont to do. Um, did you guys realize at that point in time that you were in that sort of glory era of the ACC? You know, Terry Holland at Virginia and, and well, you know, Odom. You know what I loved the yeah. best about the ACC back then, the amount of young coaches like Kay and 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 V and and Bobby Kremitz, who were all making their mark at the same time, and all of them got trips to the Final Four during that period of time. And frankly, it really sing, signaled the rise of Duke as a national basketball power. Yeah, although 
the Duke fans will be quick to point out that Vic Bubis got him there too. But well, you know, I mean, I look, they they very likely could have won in um, in 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 '86 yeah. uh, when they got to the national semifinals. A lot of people actually thought that their game with Kentucky was mm-hmm. a national championship game before they played Texas Western. But you never know what to expect. I mean, ask the Iowa. Yeah. Yesterday, yeah. and it was women. I mean, you know, there's always one more game to play. I want to ask you real quick before we, I want to talk about Final Fours, too, because we can go all the way back to to uh, um, uh, Artist Gilmore and all of that. We can go all the way. But by the way, Artist Gilmore at the 2015 Final Four, we'd been in Jacksonville with UNC in the first round, and his, you know, his jersey's hanging in the rafters there. And there were three of us from the North Carolina media who ran into artists um, at Kilroy's, and he was kind enough to take a picture with us. And he said, we leave. I said, artist, thank you so much. We appreciate it. He goes, uh, I said, you know, we saw your jersey, Jacksonville, blah, 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 whole story. And he goes, well, send them some money. So I sent Jacksonville basketball 50 bucks. <laughs> I like that. the name artist Gilmore, and now I'm on their mailing list. Well, what, what a surprise. Everybody needs a little help somewhere. Says something. I up. still remember that game and I still the, uh, there are some people at Jacksonville who still contend the officiating was off the mark there because of the amount of goaltendings that were called when the ball was still going up as opposed to coming down by the by the rim and but Jacksonville they had seven three seven foot up front with Ian Pembroke Barrows. Yeah. And they had a great guard with Rick's Morgan. I mean, they could have easily won it. The team I actually thought you got screwed in that entire Final Four, Luke, was St. Bonaventure. They had the best team yeah. when Lanier was healthy. And I was in South Carolina the day he and Chris Ford from Norova got tangled up on the floor and all of a sudden... Lanier can't play in the Final Four, and suddenly St. Bonaventure's biggest player is six seven. Yeah, they, they might have been able to change the outcome because they were really good that year. Yeah, we we segued right into your first Final Four. I want to skip through a couple of the the the, the sort of uh, milestone ACC Final Fours and see what stands out for you from them. Seventy four, obviously for NC State fans, is is the high water mark. This is a funny story. I was actually in Manhattan, Kansas the day before with Immaculata because they were going to the third national championship. I wanted to see him play a couple times before I left. I took an overnight flight through Minneapolis to get to the game in Carolina. And, you know, that, I think that state team was a team of destiny. They were down seven overtime and win the game. And... I don't, uh, to this day, I think Walton and, and Greg Lee were in disbelief because they all went off, they, they both went off into the mountains yeah. for retreat and all, they almost didn't come back to play in the third place game. They were so upset that, I mean, they had beaten State earlier in St. Louis and most people thought that uh, this isn't going to happen, but, but boy, State had just peaked at the right time and they played the great game against Merrill in the ACC final. Were you, at, the, were you at that one? You know what? Or were you at one, the Big East? I, yeah. I, with Big East wasn't the Big East. Yeah, it, was, sure. it didn't start till uh, 70, 78, 79. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I still remember watching it on television. I mean, maybe the, I mean, I did get to have the luxury of being 
at at, at UCLA in Carolina, but I, I missed that game, and it's one of the great regrets of my life. I just started going down the ACC. Skeeter had given me a credential. At the time, I had just, I was, it was like 73. I was still working in Cam before I went to Philadelphia. And they were, they, they were like gold. I mean, to get, to get a credential. Yeah. And, uh, I still remember him being kind enough to give me one and see come back any time. <laughs> uh, it's uh, uh, a little different now. Um, yeah. 70, all right, so 74, and then, you know, 82. I was there. I still remember the shot. I mean, Michael Jordan, uh, you know, knock it down, Michael. I mean, you know, you, I, you figured that Worthy or Perkins would get the last shot, and they would give it to it, an 18-year-old freshman. And he was ice water then. And the next year, I remember coming down there, he was on the cover of the Chapel Hill phone book. <laughs> and I remember having a, a, an interview with him, and uh, he was he talked to me about his dad. They were huge NASCAR fans. <laughs> talked to me about his dad, and he going to watch uh, watch NASCAR. I mean, and he he was just uh, he was just a Carolina kid who suddenly became a billionaire. Eighty yards. So we, we talked about eighty two. I want to jump ahead a little bit to not a Final Four game, although we're going to jump back. But reminding me about the Jordan game, you I'm sure you were in Philadelphia for the regional final in ninety two. Yeah, well, what game was, was almost well, almost well, they didn't know up until six thirty. Uh, there was a night that Hinkley shot Reagan, right? And they didn't know till six thirty whether they would play the game. Right. And frankly, it, it's sad to hear Bobby Knight just got went to the hospital with the yeah. uh, acute illness. Uh, he's eighty two. I'm not sure what his situation right. was, but he had a team that that literally struggled through a lot of the season and just peaked at the right time. It's back when Isaiah yeah. Thomas was a sophomore and he turned out to be you know, one, the one shining moment in that tournament. I mean, that was a good tournament. It was Ralph's tournament. Yeah. I mean, it was, the, it was the year LSU was there. I mean, it was the Indiana, Carolina. I mean, it was, it was loaded. Look, I loved the Final Fours when they were played in the 18,000 seat arena. Yeah. Now you, uh, we have, we're going to be, I don't care how many people bought tickets or how many people show up. You're going to have about 73,000 in the stands for tonight's file. I mean, it's a football stadium atmosphere. Yeah. Thank God we have decent seats because, uh, it would be hard covering this thing. If you were up in the ozone. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think of all the big football buildings where we play this San Antonio is better. Indianapolis is better because the stands are so yes. vertical. They, I mean, and they built that stadium with the idea that we're going to be hosting Final Fours. Let's make it good for basketball, too. I bet you, we were talking about 82. I meant 92, Leitner, Kentucky, in Philly, at the Spectrum. I was writing a book with Rick Pitino, uh, and I spent the year in Kentucky. <laughs> and I, I fell in love with that team because it had all of the local kids who were at the end of the bench playing with Jamal Nashburn. They get to the they they get to the files and no one thought they could win the game. I still remember Rip Patino taking the team to the fluster mm -hmm. practice because he wanted them to get a feel for the tradition of basketball in Philadelphia. And they came out and they played a near perfect game. And uh 
I still remember they called timeout after Shona Woods makes a shot with 2.5 seconds. And my wife was in the stands. I go up and talk to her because, you know, I figure this book is probably worth about $500,000 to win because they're going to win the tournament because they had already beaten Indiana and probably be in a situation where uh, the book becomes a national bestseller. And I remember going up and seeing my wife and she, as she and she's sitting next to this woman with blue hair who was a Kentucky fan. And she's trying to calm her down. She says, man, don't worry. What can happen in 245? So <laughs> next thing you know, they don't guard the inbounds pass. Grant Hill throws it to Leitner, who, like, nails a shot at the buzzer. And it was 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 for the line. He had 30 and never missed a shot. It was the perfect game by the perfect player that night. I mean, Leitner made more big shots in March than anybody I remember. But this, this had to be the biggest. That's maybe the only time Joni's ever been wrong about something. Uh, yeah, she's usually right. Thank God. But the, she's a she's a she's better coaching skills than I do. Um, well, let's, let's talk about those Duke teams a second. I mean, the UNLV games and and all of that. So what, that Bobby Hurley's jump shot with fifty seconds left, and Duke actually thought then they had a chance. Look, I mean, you and. I mean, UNLV comes in with a 32-0 record, and they had just beaten Duke by 30 the previous year in Denver. How many people thought that they're winning that game in 91? And, you know, suddenly, you know, Leitner makes a big shot, and and suddenly, I think that, I, I really believe that UNLV players were stunned because they, they had Larry Johnson, Stacy Augman. They had four guy, four or five guys who got who played in the pros for at least three or four oh, yeah. you know, four years. But you know, Duke that was that was the ultimate breakthrough game for Duke as far as winning a national championship. And after that it just took off. You can't say Villanova in eighty five because I'm not gonna sit here and listen to it. But How what about Villanova in eighteen? What was what was your <laughs> what was your favorite final four or final, well, let's do two. What was your favorite final four of, of 50? It was still a little of a game. <laughs> you know what? I worked in Philadelphia. We never thought we'd cover a, final, uh, a team that won the national championship. I mean, they had so many bad breaks. All five schools, you know, had been to a final four yeah. in the big five. But Villanova goes into that game, and they are a 13-point underdog to a Georgetown team. What people didn't realize is that the two regular season games they played against Georgetown were close. One was overtime, one was five points, five, seven points. And their their kids really understood that they they were not going to be intimidated by the George San Jose because they'd all played against each other up at Five Star Camp in Honesdale. And they shot 78 for the game and 90 for the second half. Yeah. Ended up with a huge win. I still remember after the game, the Noel wins on April 1st. I still remember Eddie Pinkney and Dwayne McClain jumping up on press row and streaming April Fools. April Fools, it was great. And you know, I mean, after that, uh, I was really close with Jay. Yeah. I mean, we were really good friends. I mean, I, I had known him ever since he got to Philadelphia as an assistant in Drexel. And uh, he's one of those guys you just knew was gonna set the world on fire if he got an opportunity. And it took him a little while, but that, that game in 16 that they won on, on Jenkins' shot. And that, and frankly, if it goes overtime, Carolina wins again. 100%. And I had that conversation with Roy this week that, yeah. you know, he thought when Marcus's shot went in, yep. we're going to overtime and we're going to win. Yeah. I mean, and, and frankly, the shot originally wasn't even supposed to go to Jenkins. I think that Jay wanted 
Ryan you know, to take, take the last shot, but it just, he ended up, Jenkins became the trailer. I mean, nothing but not at the end. And Villanova was like, I mean, all of a sudden there's a lot of screaming and yelling and their players are hugging each other. And the game was over. Well, Carolina got the night, got the game the next year. Yeah. Look, maybe well, you know, it's a shot to beat Kentucky down in 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 Louisville, and they or is it Memphis? Memphis. It was Memphis, yeah. And they and they end up they end up winning what I thought was not a great Final Four, but I thought that they were a great team. They were, and and they were a, a team, of, you know, another team of destiny searching for redemption. It's funny. I was talking with with Joel Berry about this on Saturday. It was his first time right. in the building. Both him and Roy, it was their first time in the building since Jenkins shot. Wow. That's, and, that's a great story. And I was, you know, I, I wrote about that this weekend, but, you know, for talking to Joel, Joel about it and, and, you know, does winning it the next year take some of the sting out of it? And he was like, it was great to win it, but we really wanted to win it for Marcus and Bryce Johnson, and Joel James, and Roy. So this, is, this has been in the paper, but I'll tell you because you'll appreciate it. And maybe our listeners haven't heard it. Go back and read the story. Uh, from 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 last week about Marcus Page's shot, but so at the twenty the start of the twenty seventeen season after this Villanova heartbreaker, they mic'd up Roy at the start of the first practice, which she would never let him do, and he told the team, you know, we're gonna play on Monday night, we're gonna and we have a chance to win that game, you know. So they show that at the banquet after they do win, and Roy sitting there with Wanda at the at the banquet, they showed his clip, and everyone goes nuts and. Roy said, told me, he's like, I'd, I'd forgotten that they'd done that. So it was like seeing it for the first time all over again. And then he said, I, I turned to one and said, but it doesn't help Marcus Page. You know, those guys just never got over. You no, know, that's what makes Carolina tradition, Carolina history. They live in the moment, but they also remember what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm, you know, even, I'm sure what happened last year will always stick with those Carolina players because they were, they had a huge lead. Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about modern day basketball real quick before we're done here. I'm just going to throw out the coaches of the three triangle teams. I know you know all of them or have watched them come up through the ranks. Um, we'll start NC State, Kevin Keats, former Patino assistant, Hargrave, now at UNC Wellington, now at NC State. What's your take on what he was able to do this year with the transfers and, and Terquavian Smith? I really think that people underrated Terquavian Smith. I mean, he was he is much better than a second team All ACC player. Uh, I think that he will. There's a good chance he will go in the top 20 in the draft. I think their guard play really got Kevin Keats over the hump. I saw him in the Bahamas, believe it or not. Yeah. They were, they were in battle, and uh, um, you could tell at the time that their three guards were really good, and uh, they found an answer in the middle with Burns. Yeah, I mean that was that was used for them, and you know you always expect triangle teams to do a little better than they did they did in the term just because they've always done better than people I think, but uh, I you know he deserves credit for getting in. Hubert Davis. But this is a tough year for him because I don't think the chemistry, and it's funny because you never expect that with four players coming back, but you also didn't realize how much they missed Medic. Yeah. I mean, I think they thought that Peter Nance could fill that hole, and it, it just didn't happen. Not to the extent. And who thought that their guards would wind up being dysfunctional and shooting 30% yeah. from the three? I Not me. Yeah. I mean, part of that is I think Caleb Love gets a bad rap because the, the ball ended up in his hands in a lot of low shot clock situations but he did take bad shots and 
my my take on that team and why the what happened this year happened and why what happened in in 2021 happened when Roy that's the only first round game Roy's ever lost was was to Wisconsin at Purdue in 21 is they had too many players on that team who needed the ball in their hands well I mean you know too many guys who frankly could have left last year and yeah. made money yeah and uh, I think that I think that's hard and I never knew what you were going to get from anybody on that team outside of yeah. Baycott. I mean, he was a double-double guy, and that's who he was. But I don't know that that can carry a team. And finally, John Shire's first year at Duke. I think he did a terrific job. I mean, I think that Pitt, I think he had he he had to learn on the job. I think originally it was a struggle to win on the road. By the end of the year, he had his team play at a very high level. I thought that they would go further in the tournament, frankly. But, you know, when you have a young team, you're constantly reloading with freshmen. You never know what's going to happen in March because most of the teams that are here right now have upper-class impact players. Yeah. No, and I think that's part of his goal is to recruit not only McDonald's All-Americans and one-and-done players, but guys who will be program players for a period of time, which I think everybody's starting to try to do now, even even Calipari and Carolina and everybody. I mean, I think the days, look, I think it hurt Kenny down the stretch of his career because he wanted to hang another batter, and he, he started recruiting a lot of one-and-dones. And this is a guy who wouldn't even hang a batter unless one of his players graduated in the 90s. And now he's in a situation where he was recruiting a lot of kids who were so talented they weren't going to stick around. Yeah. I think he created its own issues. I well, thought they had a chance in 19, actually. 18, too. People forgetting that if Grace Allen's layup or, or floater doesn't roll off the winning rim in Omaha, they don't go to overtime with Kansas, and Duke's there. You know, the, the entire narrative of Kay's late career is different if two shots go down in 18 and 19. Grace and Allen, and then if Zion has the ball in his hands in Washington, oh, no. said R.J. Barrett. Zion, I really thought Zion was an unstoppable force when yeah. in the game when he was healthy. Yep. I mean, he was a different type of super because yep. you couldn't stop what he did when he was healthy. All right. Well, this is the completion of your 50th Final Four. You keep saying 51 is going to be your last, but as I joked with you over the weekend, know, you said you. that last year. But you're sweet. I don't want to be Jim Bay, huh? It's, you know, when it's time to go, I'll come back as a patron of the arts. But, you know, I'll, I'll be in Phoenix. And then, you know, look, we I'm pretty sure right now we have some – pretty capable young writers who will carry the torch into the next generation. I mean, I actually have to tell you, I love what you and Brendan have done with the, the best warriors. We need that. We need that type of young leadership who's willing to step up. I, mean, it, I, I was a little worried that too many people were turning into, let me break the story whether it's true or not, yeah. guys, as opposed to really taking their position seriously. And now I think we're finding more and more guys who are coming in their profession than our throwbacks. Well, thank you. And thank you for being a mentor and a friend, a friend to Colton Tudor, my predecessor. And um, I don't think there was, a, we should have stopped a minute ago though, because there's no better way to end this pro- podcast than with a joke about Jim Beheim. I actually saw Jimmy, uh, he was on Coach's well and gave him a big hug and I hope he's happy with the rest of his life. I said, hello, Jim, and he said, hey, Poops, you're the best. Thank you so much for coming out with us.